Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, diversity and inclusion in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help inspire and drive change. And today's episode is recorded live at the Cybos Conference in London, where a record number of financial services and banking delegates from around the world have converged here at the Excel Centre. From the smallest early stage fintech firms to some of the largest financial institutions, more than 11,000 visitors have descended upon Cybos, the annual conference organized by SWIFT. And as you'll see from the extensive list of nearly 100 leaders and luminaries interviewed on the podcast series, we are committed to talking about the commercial impact that diversity and inclusion has had on organizational performance. However, one piece that has been missing has been to hear the voices of young and rising talent, talent that is keen to enter the industry and talent that is keen to rise through the ranks to become the next wave, the next generation of our senior leaders. What do they need from the industry? What must firms do to attract and retain them? And in this episode, we'll be hearing from students considering entering the weird and wonderful world of banking and financial services and of our rising talent. What do they see as they look ahead in their career journeys? And also, what does the academic research tell us? We'll be interviewing a leading academic from Oxford University to present her diversity paper sponsored by the Swift Institute. And this episode is recorded on a full day of programming dedicated to and appropriately named Talent Thursday. The Swift Institute supports a wide range of research, and I'm delighted to be joined by Christina Kampfer, who is the PhD student at Oxford University, here presenting her research, How to Secure Greater Gender Diversity Among Senior Management in the Finance Industry. Christina, it's wonderful to see you today. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. It's a pleasure. So so tell us about the premise of the research and, and how you went about it. Yeah, so um, I think what's quite interesting, or hopefully interesting about our research is that it is um, interdisciplinary. So we're borrowing from economic geography and from gender and cultural studies, which I think is quite different to a lot of research that has been done. And I think in the aftermath of the crisis, a lot of research centered around the business case of diversity. So that obviously mixed teams perform better, the decision-making is better, but then there is still a question at the end. So if they perform better and if they bring better results, why is there still this massive lack of gender diversity or diversity in general? And that's kind of um, where we started. We really wanted to figure out why, despite the empirically proven business case, is there not greater diversity, in particular in the finance industry? So I'm really keen to hear what you found. Talk us through some of your findings. So I think there are three key findings that I wish to speak about or that I think are very important. The first one is that despite the finance industry being a global one, we actually found with the research that we conducted both in various German cities, primarily Frankfurt and London, and at different companies, British companies, German companies, American companies, that they're quite different. Um, They operate quite differently. The practices are quite differently. Um, In particular, in the case of diversity, the understandings of diversity are very different. And you can clearly see that financial companies, despite operating globally, are embedded within a particular society or cultural context. And that affects them very strongly. So, yeah, tell me about the sample size. So we spoke to 47 people. 
in the UK and in Germany. Um, we spoke to asset managers, banks and insurers. And in addition to that, we spoke to a number of, ex of external stakeholders, diversity specialists and executive search firms and recruiters. Great. So, so the first one really was about the international disparity, if you want to call it that. Um, the second uh, key finding yeah. that you found. So the biggest barrier, according to our research, um, was actually the culture. So if the culture within an organization is dominated by male values, then it's really difficult for women to succeed. Um, and it's also kind of difficult for any single or even a sum of greater of diversity um, initiatives to be successful because if the larger scheme or the larger scope of things is just not supportive of that greater diversity, you can put a women's network into place or you can, I don't know, start mentoring programs, but that's not really going to trickle down or have any clear success according to our research that we've done. And it's interesting, the whole question about diversity uh, and particularly the impact of cultural awareness yeah. Uh, to drive change in, yeah. in that area. And, and I know that certainly sort of the regulators, for example, over in the UK are looking at that and they're thinking about the senior management regime and they're thinking about the culpability of senior management on the culture of their organisation as well. Um, do, do, do you get a feeling that other organisations are taking it seriously in other regions? So, I mean, we primarily compared Germany and the UK and I think for me being German it was quite sad to see how I would say almost that's a very normative statement but there's a really big lack of awareness in Germany when it comes to diversity and yeah it was interesting to see how the British companies understood themselves as global companies and the German companies were German at their core mm -hmm. um, which trickles down or is connected to a lot of factors. The importance of finance is greater in London than it is in Germany, um, but also how they operate, that Frankfurt is just a very small financial center in comparison to London. But that's interesting in the wake of Brexit, right? Um, might there be actually some kind of competitive advantage for London because of its very international work environment and people who are diverse or who are different might actually feel more welcome to work in London or for a British company than actually going to Frankfurt. I think that is a really, really interesting one that, as far as I can see, has not been explored at all in any of the conversation about how, where do companies move after Brexit if they move to mainland Europe? And, and of course, a lot of those German companies are global players as well. Yeah. So there, there's an interesting sort of interplay 100%. between our, your yeah. domestic attitude versus international attitude as well. Very interesting, really, really interesting. And, and what other findings did you have? Yeah, I think another finding um, that I found really interesting was that a lot of our interview partners reported internal resistance to gender diversity or like efforts. And this internal resistance stems in particular from men who feel neglected and who think that they're now losing out, so to say, that they have no chance of being promoted anymore. Um, and I think that is a super interesting one because if you look at it from the outside, which I do as a researcher, I'm not working for any financial company. And if you look at the numbers, you can clearly see that there's such a strong lack of diversity. And it's not my quote, it's someone else's quote, but I came across it recently and it really got stuck in my head that it's so interesting how gender or like efforts to improve gender equality are experienced or are felt by men as if they were unjust. And that's something that I find very interesting and it highlights that feminism or gender diversity in general it's not only something that is up to women it's like it needs to include men because the large share of change probably has to happen relative to men than to women and I think 
that was a really interesting one because the numbers just do not hold true. Like if you really would say that there's a discrimination of men, not if you look at the numbers, in particular in senior management, which was obviously our case study. And it's interesting when you think about uh, those organizations that pay particular attention to their balance networks rather than their gender networks seem to be, it's just a feeling, I don't have, I'm not an academic like you, um, but they have these, it feels like they are getting greater impetus and greater acceleration because they, they're taking um, both genders on that journey. A hundred percent, a hundred And obviously diversity is about a lot more than just gender. It intersects with a lot of other things. Um, and I think once you start acknowledging that, you will see that you have to go beyond gender and also maybe beyond even men and women, because obviously that might also be a reductive binary to some people. So I don't want to kind of ignore that part. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tricky conversation and it is a conversation at the end. Like it's not a rule book, right? It's a conversation. And I think that's something that is challenging, but is also the great chance. But it's an uncomfortable conversation and a lot of people in particular men from my experience don't want to have it because so one interesting thing and that's just an anecdote is that we I contacted an equal number of men and women for my research and actually two-thirds of my interview partners were female so women are more inclined to speak about it which is great but actually I think the lack of awareness amongst men I'm just assuming that it might be the case um, is a bit concerning because they are still the ones who hold power in and most organizations in particular in finance and it's clearly a conversation that we need to continue to have and, and to keep that forward and also encourage men into that conversation, which is which is really important. Christina, I know you've got an incredibly busy day here. We're here on Talent Thursday as part of Cyboss. So you're presenting today your findings on the stage, which is congratulations on Thank that you. and on your research. And how do we find your research? We will publish a working paper together with the Swift Institute, um, which should come out um, at the end of the year, November. And that will be available online for everyone to look into. So, yeah, that's how you can find our research. Wonderful. And we'll be sure to promote it. Christina, thank, thank you. you for joining us. Thank you for having me. During my time here at the 2019 Cybos Conference, I've been honoured to be a mentor of Swift's Star Scholarship Programme. And to tell us more about it, I caught up with Erin Thornton of Swift. She's a data analyst chapter lead, essentially a manager in the world of agile software development. And she's also the coordinator of Swift's Grassroots Diversity and Inclusion Network. So Erin, so uh, tell us about the programme. The Cyberstar Scholarship launched this year. Uh, we asked 30 banks to nominate high potential mid-career women, women who we hope to see in senior management in the future. We were really overwhelmed by the response from the banks. Part of the programme is to set up mentoring lunches with senior leaders from across the financial sector. And we were oversubscribed, which is a wonderful position to be in. So I can't help ask the question about why does it matter? You know, why now? I mean, we're seeing a change and a shift in diversity, as many would argue. Uh, why does it matter? We know that it's really important to get to over 30%, a critical mass of diverse thinkers and people from diverse backgrounds into senior management. And that's really so that we realise the full benefits of diversity and diverse decision making in senior leadership. So I'm intrigued. So how's the response been? It's been absolutely incredible. We've had a huge response from the banks that we asked. They've put forward extremely competent and very impressive women uh, who've joined the programme. And together they've knitted into a real cadre, uh, sharing experiences, sharing tips and building that professional network that they will need to get through to their full potential. Which is amazing. And, and of course, on Monday morning to kick off Cybos. It was such a pleasure to go to the London Stock Exchange and ring the bell to open the markets. And I think that's, that sends a massive message about how important this programme is. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
And so what of the cohort themselves? I honestly, I wish I could have invited them all on the show, but time would simply not allow. But I am delighted to be joined by three of them. Carmen Arias from Santander CIB, Larissa Watala of Royal Bank of Canada, and Ibeimi Okanea from Standard Chartered. Before we start our discussion today, I must stress to all our listeners that these ladies are not speaking on behalf of their respective organisations. Their opinions are very much their own. Welcome, welcome to all of you. You've had an incredibly busy conference. I'm delighted you could join me today. So you're here all thinking about your careers. You look around the industry as well. And it strikes me that the fight for talent is particularly fierce. So what, Carmen, let me come to you first of all. So what can organisations do to retain talent? So I think here the key is the, the stimulation. Apart from the salary, which should be competitive, uh, there are a lot of things that you can invest on your on your employees. Like uh, uh, first of all, you have to listen to them, uh, their needs. You have uh, to give them flexibility in their environment. Um, also, potential their own skills. Uh, not everybody have the same skills. So uh, each people has their own one. So you have to potential them skills, mm -hmm. uh, giving them uh, ownerships or themselves. Carissa, would you add anything to that? Is there anything on your, your, yeah, your mind? It's, it's a great question. I think the one thing I would add is the need to strengthen and destigmatize exit and re-entry programs within the organization. Uh, women in particular are more subjected to career pauses, typically for having children or ca taking care of aging parents. And while we need to shift the uh, responsibility to both men and women, having robust exit and re-entry programs will ensure that everyone feels that they can come back and maintain their career fast tracks. Mm -hmm. I think that um, making sure that those are top of mind are really key. And Ibe Amy? I think the organizations that will be winners in these times are actually the organizations that look at talent and focus on their development differently. Um, organizations need to begin to look at what's important to this talents. They need to be able to see that, you know, not many people want to focus on linear career paths anymore. Uh, the future of the workforce today, um, they want to look at different skills. They want to look at digital. They want to look at design. They want to look at trying their hands on different things. So I think the organizations that take that into consideration will be the organizations that will win in the future. And, and some would argue that uh, the pace of change for equality uh, is, is too slow. It is frankly too slow in the industry. And as you look at your career journeys ahead, um, where do you see the barriers further down the track? And, and Chris, you were talking about there about flexible working and needing models. Any, any other sort of barriers you can see that the organizations should focus on? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and it's a tough one. I think one thing I've picked up on here at Cyboss this week has been the discussion around how we want to be running uh, businesses with the customer in the center. And how I see that is we're running human-centric businesses. And when I think of uh, putting the human at the middle, I think of rethinking what a leader looks like. And I would love to see the industries reshape what that looks like and what skill sets make for a strong leader really starting to put things like emotional intelligence and empathy and being able to connect with their teams at the forefront and and 
if we do that and we do it well, I think we're really going to open up a new talent pool, especially a talent pool full of women who otherwise wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity. You know, that's a very interesting point you raised. Um, I looked at a few statistics from Oliver Wyman. Um, the board representation for in financial services for women in 2003 was about 12%. And that grew to 20% in 2016. That's a whole lot of 13 years. And that's quite significant for having 13 years and the growth is just about 10%. So yes, you're right, the, the growth is really slow. And then we need to look at what do we need to do to change that? I think one of the key things we need to look at is, do we have enough role models? Uh, do we have um, people out there that we can look at, that you know we can look up to as women? And the interesting thing um, I'd like to say is that at Standard Chartered Bank, we have many of our CEOs that are female. The CEO for many of our countries, like Hong Kong, India, China, France, uh, Ghana, a Filipino, they're all female. And that gives a lot of encouragement uh, in terms of diversity and what we can look forward to. So I think many organizations need to begin to realize that and see that there has to be role models at the top. Oh, the importance of visibility. Visibility yes. is incredibly Absolutely. important. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Come on, anything you, you'd, you'd add to that? Uh, well, um, here is the um, uh, maybe the uh, recruit, recruitment process here is, is a key because um, every part of any um, company should uh, recruit uh, or hire people qu with a specific qualifi qualification for its job. So this is really important because um, if you create a team Within uh, which include the uh, the specific people that you need, it's uh, it's benefit for you. So if we create the same uh, the same, um, if we're looking for the same profiles, we are going to go to the same way. So if we want the diversity, we need to looking for another profiles. And I, th I think that's very true. A lot of people are looking at the uh, the role of external recruitment firms and holding them to better account. So if you're coming back with the same sort of people, same list, exactly as you say, uh, then you need to go back or find different recruitment firms or look in different places. I think that's that's enormously important. So, so we have listeners all over the world. And uh, one of the things we love to do on the podcast is give them pr really practical things that they could be doing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what are some of the things that organizations could do to drive positive change. Okay, so I think um, not just one thing, a couple of things and organizations have to be consistent. It's like having a toolbox and you keep putting as many tools as, in it, as, as appropriate as you need. So I think one of the key things is that setting the tone at the top of the organization about driving um, diversity agenda is very, very crucial. I think that's, that's a key point that has to be done. The tone has to be from the top. Uh, the, there has to be internal targets about what the organization wants to achieve. Uh, and um, I was speaking to someone yesterday who said um, in their organization, once they achieved 30, uh, someone in the senior um, position said, now we've achieved 30 and that's it. <laughs> and so it's not about um, achieving 30%. It's about continuous progress. Yeah. 
and, and that has to be the focus. And 30%, of course, isn't equality. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. So that's that essentially um, is one of the key things that happened. And, and this, this, this targets and what organizations have achieved has to be published. It has to be published in order to hold organizations accountable. And I think another piece is... Um, are these targets linked to the scorecard of the executives in the organization? Those are some of the things we need to look at so because that will drive the right agenda. And then um, other practical things are having the culture of inclusion mm -hmm. in the organization, ensuring things like um, you spoke about earlier about um, flexi, flexible working hours and support for the women. And we also have to give support for the men to support the women. That's incredibly important that actually we take the men on the journey as well. Absolutely. That's, that's a great list of uh, very practical things we could do. Carmen, any, anything sort of come to mind for you? Yeah, um, from my perspective is the um, company should be really flexible with employees, um, making uh, their lives easy, uh, um, letting them to be really focused on their jobs, um, making uh, Mm, agile spaces, uh, creating uh, agile pro internal processes. Um, I mean, to help the employees to 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 their uh, daily basis. And and a lot of that is we we touched on culture, and that's environment as well, which is you know kind of the environment in which we work to add that flexibility in as well. Exactly, they need to take in, into account that um, diversity and multiculture. Uh, each people has their own um, habits, so we need to be flexible in this in in that terms. So really interesting, yeah. really interesting. Chris, any thoughts from you? Great points that have been said. I just want to build on the comment of the toolbox because I think where we need to get practical is in a couple ways. One, we need to promote a growth mindset and a continuous learning culture within our organizations. When we do that, that enables us to have one-to-one -one conversations around stretch assignments. Stretch assignments are one of the most important ways that people can grow meaningful and uh, careers with momentum and continue to climb the ladder. You cannot wait until you check, check all the boxes. And so embedding that into the normal conversation between you and your manager, you and your team, it's vital. And I think after that, it's practice and it's an embed and sustain, but it, nowhere to go but up at that point. I have to say, it's been the most wonderful conversation. I wish we could continue for longer, but we always have a time limit on our on, on our podcast. It's been a wonderful conversation. Also, may I just say, what a joy it is for me to be a mentor for the STAR programme as well. Thank you all for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedules uh, to be with us today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. A key part of the conference is the ever-popular Swift Institute Student Challenge. And this week, five startup companies have been pitching to solve the essential question, how can AI be used to prevent and detect fraud in instant payments. And I managed to catch up with two of the competitors keen to hear their thoughts on talent in the industry as they are the beginning of their careers in the world of financial services. So we're joined today by Rebecca Sterling from Cass Business School and Jean-Philippe Richard Charman, or JP, from the Henley Business School. So uh, Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the show, which Thank is fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, so let me start with you, really. Uh, I guess my first question is, what do you think financial services firms should be doing to attract more diverse talent? 
Um, uh, so as you heard, I'm a CAS business student and um, we have a lot of societies at CAS and I believe that they really need to get into the campus and speak to the students and I think that way they would be more willing or the students would be more willing to talk about how they feel and any barriers that they come across and then that information could be then taken forward and improvements made. So this is about organisations actually coming into academic institutions and engaging. And I'm, I'm intrigued to know, sort of those who do that, in your opinion, uh, how well do they do it? Is it a one-way discussion? Or are they actually listening to your thoughts about the future and, and, and how you engage with them? I think initially the students are really scared to say anything. But um, once everyone kind of becomes comfortable, I think it's a two-way conversation. I think they're kind of just happy to kind of hear our thoughts and then we feel appreciated and we feel open enough to kind of talk to them because we kind of see people in the financial industry that are working as gods. But it's good to actually see that they are real people just like us. And, and particularly as we walk around, you know, the Cyboss Conference Hall, you know, it's full of people. I mean, that's the thing. in many, many different shapes and forms as well. So it's, uh, I'm delighted to hear that it's not quite as intimidating as arguably it could be. Uh, but I'm always interested in, um, as you sort of look ahead in, in that, uh, do, you think, um, do you think the industry is diverse enough? Or what do you think organisations could do to encourage greater diversity? Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my background. Um, my parents came from the Caribbean and I was born here. And I also have a learning disability, which is dyslexia. Um, so um, in answer to your question, um, I think there are barriers that need to be overcome in the industry. Um, so there was um, an example of a lady CEO, Alison Rose. And I think this is a, a great example for women that want to get into the service so they can see that there's people that can actually make it and they inspire you to be and you know just be just like them and that they're real people just like you wonderful J jp i'd love to hear your thoughts on this well i'll start off with my background as well so i'm born born and raised in hong kong uh to a french canadian mother and an english father and due to having families in different countries suffering from a kind of lack of identity in terms of where do i fit in and i think this is a key topic for financial firms, financial services firms to tackle. How will the talent that we recruit fit in? How do they think they'll fit in? What do they need to fit in? So in terms of having a two-way conversation and really understanding what the next talent needs is a key thing for financial firms. However, also with the way the world is going, I mean, both of us, Rebecca and myself, we're both a millennial generation and we're more attuned with what's happening to our country and to what's happening to our world and the society. I think Generation Z, just after us, are even more in touch with that. A great example is Greta Thunberg, uh, the activist. And with regards to that, for me anyway, I would look look at uh, financial service firms and see what are they doing in terms of the corporate social responsibility side. Are they ensuring that they're including the whole community? Are they doing work outside of their normal um, operations that would ensure that the community grows outside of the organization and has that link with the community and organization to then both succeed and both grow together. So looking at the CSR side and having that two-way conversation 
with the future talents. And, and you're nodding along, Rebecca, which, yeah, is, which I, is... Um I absolutely agree. Um, I, I think diversity is fantastic. You get a, a rich pool of information from people from all different backgrounds. And I think it just opens up your mind to see how people think in a different way to you. If you get from the same talent pool, then you get the same results. So you need to kind of widen that scope and widen your span and you just become enriched with that. It adds value. And I, and I think one of the, the interesting things that comes out of both your comments is uh, purpose. You know, the social responsibility purpose, but also how organizations engage fresh thinking through new talent coming through as well. And, and uh, I mean, are you, as you walk around the hall, are you optimistic? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that we're here is amazing. Um, I wouldn't be in a position to be able to be here and buy a ticket. Um, so as a student, um, just being in this environment, it, it's very inspiring. Everyone is very professional. And I think that's the amazing thing about the Swift Challenge. It gives students the opportunity to see the other side. I mean, for me, it's like Disney World. I completely agree. I think um, obviously starting with the Swift Institute, I think the opportunity is once in a lifetime. And it's a perfect way for us to understand what's going on in the industry and in terms of the finance industry I mean the first thing that used to come to my mind is they're all about numbers and because they're all about numbers the way they treat people may be like that treating people as a statistic however from first-hand experience and being here I'm seeing the complete opposite from a numbers industry that's actually treating people like human beings and more and more like humans such as if you were to take the challenger banks for example monzo starling they are focusing on the customer experience but not only the customer experience but their employees experience and in terms of retaining talent i think that is key focusing on both experiences. Well, this is where I wanted to go next because uh, it's, it's one thing to be attracted, you know, to first walk through the door and go, this is, you know, this, the, the person who's been the most appealing in the first step in my career. But I, I, let's look a little further out, you know, five to 10 years. And we think a lot about turnover in the industry. What does the industry need to do to retain you and to retain talent? As I just mentioned, I think the main thing would be the interactions. How are you being interacted with? And treating people the way they want to be treated is the key thing, instead of treating people just the way you want to be treated, because there's a, a big difference there. And once you're able to treat people the way they want to be treated, then you can move forwards. And other things that would, for me anyway, that would keep me in an organization is I show loyalty to the organization and I would therefore expect loyalty to be shown back to me in terms of investing in my development, giving me the opportunities to expand, putting me in the deep waters so that I can learn from my mistakes and getting rid of that blame culture that seems to be present in all industries. Rebecca, your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. I think it's inclusiveness um, and I think that people want to have a sense of belonging and um, building a community around that um, to the different backgrounds, the different cultures, the different thoughts, the different experiences, and then people feel valued and want to stay. Because, you know, this is all great on paper. It's all good on paper. And we're here where everybody's presenting the shiniest self. I know all these exhibitors who are going, yeah, we love you with great, great potential for talent. Um, but it's hard for organisations to change. 
you know, they are entrenched organizations. Uh, many of them are hundreds of years old. Many of them are also new, as you, exactly as you were saying, the new startups. Um, and for those, but they're sizable. Some of them are, are, are large organizations. What can they be doing to accelerate the pace of, of that change? People just don't like change. And I mean, you've really got to change the psychology of the people and get into the culture and change the culture from within. And I think that's just a case of where if you do not, you will become obsolete. You need to keep up with what is going on. And part of that is bringing in people from all around the world to enrich and grow and develop your business or you become stagnant. I completely agree with Rebecca. And I believe that it's very hard for firms to change because they have a closed-mindedness, unfortunately. They like the, the way things are being done and because of liking the way things are being done, they don't want to change because there's no need to reinvent the wheel, so to say. However, the wheel doesn't need to be reinvented. It just needs to be readjusted. And understanding that mindset and understanding the new generation's mindset will make it easier in the future. It's not going to happen overnight. It will progressively happen and it will progressively happen over time. Any, any thoughts on how organizations could do that? We've talked about them coming into academic institutions and, and having a two-way conversation, two-way engagement. Um, there, are there any other things when you enter the workplace that you'd like to see organizations do that demonstrate that we are human beings, we have a contribution to make, that diversity matters, and that actually they're open to fresh ideas? I think it's that two-way conversation and talking to people and not, intimidating them especially someone new coming into the workforce might be intimidated by the people above them by their line managers by the ceo by the ceo and such and having that two-way conversation without being intimidating is key you see a lot of companies where the ceo is completely detached from the operations and that doesn't promote or project a good image especially from someone just starting out in the workforce. And I think that's really key, that two-way conversation. Yeah, absolutely agree, uh, agree with JP. Um, I know for myself at City, I have a mentor and that's kind of just really helped me ask any questions that I may think are silly. Um, that mentor is in the industry and she's been able to give me insight what it's actually like. Um, I have two young children, so I was kind of apprehensive about how it would be as a mother in the industry and for the organization that she works for she's able to do work from home one day a week and she does a part uh, she does three days a week in the office so for me to know that that there is a future in the industry that I want to get into and something that will work with my lifestyle is fantastic wonderful and may I just say it's just been an incredible conversation I've really enjoyed it I know you're having a, a great conference I wish you every success on the stage today uh, you know made the best team win and uh, look forward to seeing you at Cybos again when you have your stellar jobs in the organizations who deserve you thank, thank you very you. much well, thank you for your time much. thank you thank you again so it's been a very interesting conversation today, starting with the research from Christina Camper from Oxford University, thinking about the reality we face and hearing the views of the rising stars and the new entrance into the world of financial services. It's been a pleasure to record this on Talent Thursday at Cybos 2019. My name's Julia Streets and thank you for listening to Diversity Podcast.
This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find out more about guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.